This is Martin Luther's sermon on Epiphany, preaching on Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. I'm Pastor Brian Wolfmuller of Hope Lutheran Church, and for more information about the Luther Sermon Podcast, please visit www.hope-aurora.org. This sermon was originally published in Columbus, Ohio in 1886 and is in the public domain. We start with the gospel reading Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. Now, when Jesus was born at Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen a star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea. For thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when ye have found him, bring me word again, that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star, which they saw in the east, went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasure, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. Luther's Sermon, Part First, The Narrative The name of the present festival designates it as the festival of a manifestation of Christ. It is supposed that three manifestations occurred on this day, though not in the same year. The first was when Christ was made manifest to the wise men from the east by the star. The second, when he was baptized of John in the Jordan. And the third, when he performed his first miracle at Cana in Galilee. Whether these manifestations took place on the same day or not matters little. The events themselves are glorious, especially the one we commemorate today, the manifestation of Christ to the wise men of the east. For here the Lord desires to reveal himself to the Gentiles also, and not alone to the Jews, lest these should say that he had come in secret and unknown to men. The fact that he should be a descendant of the Jews, not as a mighty king, but in such poverty that he should with difficulty find a place in which he might be born, makes his mission very offensive to the Jews even at the present day. It became necessary, therefore, that God should also make him manifest to the Gentiles, so that his coming would be gladly heralded and proclaimed everywhere, notwithstanding his poverty and privation. Surely it was a momentous event that the wise men of the East came from their far-off land and made so much ado about this Christ at Jerusalem as did Simeon and Anna in the temple, the angels in the air, and the shepherds at Bethlehem. All are busy with this child— All sing and speak of him, so that his fame is gloriously proclaimed to the end that the Jews should become aware of him and welcome him. The evangelist relates with care in our present narrative how the wise men first came to Jerusalem there to seek Christ. They thought that since Jerusalem was the capital and this child was the king of the Jews, they must surely find him there. In this they greatly err. 
not in the majestic city of Jerusalem, but in the humble village of Bethlehem, they find the child. Mark well this fact. If we would come to this child and find him, we must not be guided by our thoughts or by our human reason, but must follow the word of God and not turn from it in the least. As soon as we lose sight of the word, we go astray. The child has indeed a great and glorious name, but yet he is poor and lowly, hence he will not be found amidst the great and pompous rulers at Jerusalem. We must therefore follow the example of the wise men, believe the word of God, and not be led astray by the gaudy show of this world. Whoever wanders from the word, ignoring the testimony of the scriptures concerning this child and judging from external experiences, will certainly be mistaken and not find Christ. The papists are an example of this. They disregard the word and represent Christ as it pleases their fancy. It by no means pleases them to have him only as a savior, hence they add their own good works and devotions regard them as equally efficacious with Christ the Savior. Thus they call upon the Virgin Mary to intercede for them with her son, regarding such prayer and intercession as a savior. This is all vanity. Whoever gropes for Christ without the word of God will grasp the devil, who then instills into the heart the thought that Christ is a judge and taskmaster, and that whoever would appear before him must have the intercession of the saints. The result is that the papists have a greater confidence in the Virgin Mary and in the mediation of the saints than in Christ the Lord. This always must ensue when the word is neglected. No wonder, then, that the devil seeks with all his might to seduce us from the word of God and to direct us to our own thoughts. He knows full well that this would be his gain and our loss. The chief requisite for us is, therefore, to have implicit confidence in the Scriptures and to judge divine matters only as they teach us. But it is a very difficult task to convince men of this necessity. It seems almost impossible for many, in regard to the sacrament, to simply accept the word. They insist on judging concerning it as would some irrational animal. They see but bread and wine and straightway decide that the body and blood of Christ are not there, evidently observing merely that which is visible while they wholly disregard the word. The husk they regard as of the greatest importance, leaving out of sight the kernel, the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. The wise men at first indulged in similar thoughts concerning Christ. As soon as it was made manifest to them that the king of the Jews was born, they started directly toward Jerusalem under the impression that he must surely be found there in a magnificent palace and a chamber of gold. And what other thoughts could they have had of a king? Yet such opinion, because they have no word of God to rest upon, must prove fallacious. They were mistaken. They do not find this child in Jerusalem, though this was the holy city and residence of God. To find the child at all, they had to obey the scriptures. These are the proper star and radiant sun which direct us to Christ. In this, the wise men furnish us with an excellent example of a living, powerful faith. Immediately on hearing the word of the prophet Micah concerning Christ, they follow them implicitly and put aside all other expectations which they had entertained. Nor are they offended when they turned away from Jerusalem, the city of God, and from his holy temple, and are directed to the manger at Bethlehem. They might have been offended at this, for they had come to find the king of the Jews, not a beggar. But they simply obey the words of the prophet Micah, disregarding everything else and putting aside all human reasoning in regard to their course. Such an exhibition of faith may well be set before us as a bright example. I doubt not, but that I myself, if I had been in their place, 
would have gone to the temple under the suspicion that because it is the dwelling of God, the home of the priesthood, and the place of devotion, it must of course be the place where this child should be found, if found at all in this world. But the plan of God was otherwise. He will not manifest his son among the great prelates at Jerusalem, just as at the present day the Pope, with his multitude, has him not. God desired utterly to abolish the Jewish priesthood, with its authority and everything pertaining to it, inasmuch as the Jews placed all their confidence in it and boasted of their temple, thinking it sufficient to be priests and Levites and the chosen people of God. Such pride could not be endured of God, and hence it happened that their priesthood, their temple, and their ceremonies— of which they were so proud, had to be abolished. But the poor and lowly Bethlehem was to be honored as the first abode of the Son of God on earth. This, then, is the first part of our narrative today. It teaches the importance and necessary lesson that the wise men who sought Christ did not find the newborn king in Jerusalem as they had expected. On the contrary, they find him. to find him at all, they had to consult the prophet Micah. As soon as they became aware of his prediction, they dismissed their own thoughts and right willingly leave the holy city Jerusalem, directing their course toward the humble village of Bethlehem. God immediately gives them new comfort again by sending them the star to guide them from the precincts of Jerusalem with its brilliant light even to the very door where the little child was to be found. And they needed such comfort, for there they found naught but poverty and want. Joseph and Mary are strangers there. The child lies in a manger, scarcely a drop of water is their own. What a sorry situation for a king. If it had been the intention to mock these people, everything would have been adapted to the end. But these pious men were not offended. They firmly believed the words of the prophet Micah and trust in the star which had guided them hither. In spite of the poverty surrounding the child, they fall upon their knees and worship him, opening their treasures and giving him presents. This is the narrative of our gospel lesson. In this connection, we must remember, above all, the exceedingly great blessing bestowed upon the Gentiles. God calls them also into the kingdom of Christ and accepts them as his people, although they are not circumcised nor subject to the law, as were the Jews. In this we, who are of Gentile origin, have a sure declaration that we need not despair as if Christ had not come for us, but that we can have him as our Savior as well as the Jews, though we are not of that people whom he called his own. The wise men of the East were heathens. They had their own priests and manner of worship, which was not in accordance with the word of God. They were also uncircumcised. Nevertheless, they come as strange and unknown persons to the true light, to Christ, and faithfully accept him. He also accepts them and receives their adoration and their gifts. This has told us for our consolation that we should praise God who has in Christ established a kingdom upon earth into which we also are called, not on account of our merits, but through the mercy of God, though we were not his people. Again, we ought to learn from this narrative how to conduct ourselves towards Christ our Lord, to avoid all offense, to seek him with our whole heart, to adore him as our Savior, and to confess him before the world even as did the wise men in our text. And inasmuch as his kingdom upon earth has no outward power and glory and is persecuted and oppressed on every side by the world and Satan, we ought cheerfully to give our money and of our possessions to aid aid in its extension and increase. For surely we of the present day are as well able as were the wise men of old to open our treasures for him. And furthermore, the gospel declares, Matthew 25, verse 40, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me, 
Therefore, whoever with his money and property assists poor, indignant, and forsaken persons or contributes liberally to the support of schools and institutions in which young persons are educated in the word of God and in the sciences to become useful in the service of the church gives in reality his offerings unto Jesus, who was born into this world poor and needy, yea, as a little child without even the necessities of life, who was persecuted by the tyrant Herod so that he had to flee from his native land unto Egypt. For this flight and long journey God provided the necessary means by the wise men for the little child, for Joseph his foster father, and for the Virgin Mary. Their gifts were undoubtedly valuable, for we read that they opened their treasures. Because they acknowledged this child as the Son of God and the eternal King and Savior, they, beyond all doubt, gave him rich and valuable gifts. Poor and needy Christians who suffer persecution ought from this to derive cheer and hope. Ere God will permit a poor Christian to suffer want or to die of starvation, he would surely furnish assistance and consolation, even if he had to send the benefactor hundreds of miles. This comfort we derive from the example in our gospel today. Part 2. The Prophecy of Micah Besides the narrative, we have in our gospel lesson to notice especially the prophecy of Micah, which portrays Christ with interminable beauty. The prophecy is this, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. God declared in this prophecy, as the Jews themselves testified, that the birth of Christ, the Lord, might be expected in Bethlehem. This was a most distinguished honor, making of humble Bethlehem a thousandfold more glorious city than Jerusalem ever was. Though the prophet declares that Bethlehem is small and of low estate before the world, the evangelist changes this expression and says, Thou art not the least. Inasmuch as God confirmed on this little Bethlehem the honor to become the birthplace of his son, a greater honor than this never happened to any city in the whole world. The words of the evangelist with which he praises Bethlehem are most glorious. For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. This is the joyful text which teaches us how to regard Christ and who he is. Though poor before the world, though a despised and humble person, born in an insignificant hamlet, he nevertheless is prince and governor over Israel, over the people of God. The nature of this principality we learned on Christmas from the tidings of the angels who also called Christ a Lord, not a tyrant who would torment and oppress the people. The prophet intentionally adds, Bethlehem, though thou be little, because he means to say, if this governor desired to be great and glorious before the world, he would surely have selected another place where he might be born. But he comes without pomp, without violence, without estate, without money, without sword and muskets. He disregards the great and mighty city, Jerusalem the most holy, Rome the most powerful, and the others of the kind, and chooses for his birthplace the poor and lowly Bethlehem, so that one might judge from the very place of his birth what a governor he would be, poor and mean before the world, but rich in spirit and all heavenly gifts. Though his title is Prince and Governor, yet neither the circumstances of his birth, nor the place where it occurred, nor anything that he possessed upon earth, exhibit a royal splendor of princely glory. Yet he is endowed with majesty and glory far beyond that which the world possesses, and is rich in that in which the world is poor indeed. He is the just one. The world is full of sin. He is eternal. The world is transitory. He is master over the devil. 
while the world is ruled and goaded by him. He is holy. The world is wicked. He has a merciful God. The world is under divine wrath. He is Lord of the life everlasting. The end of the world is death. Such is the dominion and glory of this child to be enjoyed by his people. His aim is not to make you great in temporal matters. He himself is poor and lowly, yet he will rescue from dire necessity that you may be saved and his name may be glorified. Let no one then expect to obtain money or the goods of the world from him. All these might be expected at the hands of the Pope and his followers. The Pope elevates his creatures to high positions and distributes among them wealth and domain, as Daniel prophesied. But the sovereignty of this child manifests itself in the forgiveness of our sins, in our justification and sanctification, in the gift of the Holy Ghost, in our redemption from the bondage of the devil and of death, and finally in the transfer from this world into heaven. To this end, faith is necessary, and a firm adherence to the word of God. If we forget the word and allow our own thoughts in this, we shall lose Christ as a Savior entirely, and will have to regard him as a stern judge who is to be shunned as we would the devil, by whom we are afraid of being seized on account of our wickedness. Our Lord and Savior Christ is no such ruler. He will not torment us, but is the governor and ruler of his people Israel. He rescues from sin and ensures the mercy of God. His people are the poor, miserable sinners who fear and tremble on account of their sins and long to be at peace with God. The prophet describes him in the most appropriate manner as a prince not of this earth, and yet, though of heaven, full of mercy toward all who believe in him, whom he shall free from sin, the devil, death, and hell. Well may we rejoice in such a Lord. The scribes quote the prophecy of Micah thus far only, being in all probability afraid that this was too much already, for they could see well enough that it was the determination of Herod to destroy the king of the Jews, hence they are silent as to the remainder of the prediction of Micah. Their intention was to say, We know of no other king of the Jews but Herod. They are satisfied with the mere statement that the prince of the Jews would be born in Bethlehem. But the prophet, though now dead, says more than this when he describes what kind of ruler the king-child would be, as to his person, namely, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. This declaration of the prophet was not mentioned by the scribes to King Herod because very likely they did not comprehend it themselves. And, in fact, it is somewhat difficult and not so easily understood as the other portion of the prophecy that Christ should be born in Bethlehem and be a ruler over his people Israel. This can easily be understood, for it states distinctly that he would be of the human race. But the prophet adds, his going forth is from eternity before time was. That is, he is also from eternity, and did not begin to exist at the time of his birth in Bethlehem. In Bethlehem he was born, it is true, and there began his earthly existence, but he had another going forth which is thus stated, from of old, from everlasting. The words of the prophet dare not be altered. He says, Ex te egretatir, of thee shall he come forth. The chief priests and the scribes explain the term come forth correctly, but in this connection as being equivalent to being born, just as we say in English, he comes from here or from there, meaning thereby that he was born from there. Now, these words must at the same must have the same meaning when the prophet immediately after says, Cujus egrius ab ante adebius mundi, that is, his going forth is from eternity, before the beginning of the division of time. 
If, therefore, we would know whence this Christ is, we must attentively listen to the prophet Micah, who says, He is of Bethlehem. But is this all? Is he not also from elsewhere? Yes, he was begotten before the world, or the heavens, or the sun, or the moon were. This cannot be expressed in words, and means that he has no beginning. It was not intended that Herod, or the Jews, should understand this, nor were they worthy of it. This, then, is the king and ruler born in Bethlehem, true man in reality, yet he is more than this, for he comes forth and is before the world began. That is, he is the true eternal God, also true man of our human nature. At these facts, the world is perfectly amazed. It cannot harmonize these two births, nor can it believe that this child has his coming forth or birth ere the sun and moon were created. The Jews never could endure this, and many abominable heresies arose against this article of faith. But let us who have the word of God carefully meditate upon it. If Christ was born before the world was, of whom could he be born? Of whom else but of God? Even reason must admit this if she admits that God created the heavens and the earth, for God and nothing else existed before the world was. If this child, then, was born and went forth ere heaven and earth were in existence, he must be born of God, yea, must be God himself. For besides God and the creation, there is nothing that exists. A correct understanding of these words of the prophets is of paramount importance. If Christ had been merely human, death would have overcome him, as does every human being. The fact that he was born of a virgin would have availed him nothing, for the creation of Eve by God from a rib is a greater miracle than that of, that a virgin should give birth. A virgin is a female, created for the very purpose of buried, bearing children. Hence neither the devil nor death would have cared a whit for the birth of Christ, though he was born of the Virgin Mary. But the efficacy of his birth consists in the fact that the Virgin Mary brought forth not only a son, but a son who was born before the world was. Thus it happened that the devil and death and the whole realm of hell were subdued when they foolishly ventured to attack one who had his going forth and birth long before the world was. If it were otherwise, if his going forth had first begun at Bethlehem, surely death would have swallowed him up as it does you and me, or as it did the Virgin Mary, John the Baptist, and other great saints. But his goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. Hence death, who thus far had devoured all men, was put to shame when he approached this child. Christ was God. He could not sin, nor could he be accused by the law, and therefore death could not consume, nor the devil condemn him. Yet because he also was born in time, in Bethlehem, and came into this world like any other child, he had to die. But the devil and death were caught in their own trap, for they looked but to his birth at Bethlehem. On account of this going forth, as is a child in the world, he suffers himself to be slain. But as soon as he is buried, he exclaims, I am from everlasting, and bursts with forth the bonds of sin, death, hell, and the grave, which could not hold him. This message the prophet brings unto us, and tells us plainly of this ruler, that he had two goings forth, that is, two natures, that he is one person and not two, and yet that one person at the same time, true God and true man. Hence we must say, Christ is the son of the Virgin Mary, and from her breasts he drew his nourishment, increasing in body like any other child. But he was also born of the Eternal Father, the ever-living God, ere the world began. These two natures, the human and the divine, are so inseparably united that they constitute one Christ, who is true God and true man.
The chief priests did not speak of this to Herod, for they knew nothing of it, nor would that miserable tyrant have been worthy of such an announcement. If we desire to become well acquainted with this most wonderful birth, we must begin our contemplation of it as it occurred at Bethlehem. The prophet also observes this order when he first speaks of the incarnation of Christ and dwells upon it more minutely than upon his birth from eternity. For if we wish to know the disposition of God toward us, we must first learn what he did for us upon earth, how he manifested himself among men. After that we will also learn, as the text further teaches us, how this child is from eternity. Such a revelation will then be free from all terror for us, full of joy and comfort. Here, however, a most unfortunate obstacle presents itself. Since through idle and impious curiosity, we first direct our attention to the providence of God. The question is asked, if God foreknew all things, why did he not prevent the fall of man? Why does he permit the world to continue in its sinful course unto damnation, if he has the power to convert it and to make it pious, etc.? Whoever begins his study of God with such questions will surely come to grief. Lucifer fell because he exalted himself beyond his sphere. This course must be shunned. If we desire to proceed with safety and to become advised as to the nature of God, we must begin our investigation here below, as does the prophet when he first looks toward Bethlehem and then towards heaven into eternity. Christ also instructs us in this regard, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Philip, he that has seen me hath seen the Father. John 14. He who refuses this advice and begins with soaring speculation as to how God governs the world, how he punishes and consumes, will fare badly, and that deservedly. The wise man, Proverbs 25, says, It is the glory of God to conceal a thing. True wisdom, in learning of this child, will first direct its course to Bethlehem, there to hear what office he shall have in this world, that he shall be, as Micah says, a governor, who will redeem his people from sin and death. If this is If this truth is well learned, if the child in the manger has been found and seen and accepted, then it will follow of itself that he will be known not merely as the son of Mary, but also as the son of God, born of the Father before anything was created. This knowledge will give joy and safety, since through this child we become the recipients of the mercy of God, whom we otherwise could never regard as a gracious God. This, then, is the lesson concerning the child Jesus at Bethlehem. Here we must also observe the shameful conduct of Herod and the scribes toward this child. Herod persecutes and the scribes scorn him. It pertains to the mysterious dealings of God with men to exhibit clearly to them divine texts so that they preach of them and sing of them and converse about them and yet do not understand one word of them. So here, the scribes explain this text. Herod, following its directions, sends the wise men to Bethlehem. Yea, the hypocrite even adds, Go and search diligently for the young child, and when you have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. Yet neither Herod nor the scribes understood one word of what they said. They had the shell but missed the kernel. In like manner, God deals in our day with the wicked, ungrateful Christians, not merely with the papists who also have and read and know the word of God, but even with other people who have the gospel and speak of it, but do not comprehend one word of it. If they did, they would prove it in their lives. The scribes and Herod take the words of the prophets upon their lips, but think you they, if they understood them, would lazily remain at home and neither seek nor worship the young child? 
That they themselves disregard the sayings of the prophet is a sure sign that they understand nothing of what they preach to other people. The true believers have a great advantage over the unbelievers in this, that they not only hear these words but also understand them, deriving much happiness and consolation from them. Thus we are convinced that the world, the Pope, and the proud citizens and landholders, though excelling us in wealth, power, and honor, are far beneath us in this respect, inasmuch as they do not understand the word of God, though they may hear and even teach it. Their life shows plainly, as was the case with the hardened Jews, that having ears they hear not, nor do they see with their eyes. May God in mercy guide us, as he did the wise men of the East, by the star of his holy word, to find his Son, Jesus Christ. And may he keep us in the true faith, forever and ever. Amen. This has been the sermon of Dr. Martin Luther on the Festival of the Epiphany. The first sermon, preaching on the text Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. For more information and for more sermons from Luther, please visit the website of Hope Lutheran Church at www.hope-aurora.org for more.